Welcome back to Editing Aloud and all the best for a new year. But some old problems. A December in which Eskom really battled to keep the lights on, succeeding over Christmas but load shedding for at least some of the time. And a year which has opened with the resignation of Eskom acting CEO and chairman Jabu Mabuza prompting a political storm around Praveen Gordon, the shareholder minister and the board. Lucanio, what do you make of Jabu Mabuza's resignation from Eskom? Did he jump? Was he pushed? No, it is, I mean, it's hard to know what was actually said in private meetings, but I think once uh, his namesake, David Mabuza, came out publicly, or the deputy president, and said, you know, like the, the, that's the president of Maposa had been misled by Eskom, and by the minister, I think that Jabu's position probably became really difficult to sustain because I mean, he, I mean, he either had to defend himself or, or, or take the route that he, that he took. Obviously, there's a lot of intrigue about what, what's the politics behind this. I mean, is, 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 was, was this a ploy to go after Mabuza or, is, it, or, is, it, or is, is that some kind of proxy war to go after like, you know, his political leaders like, in terms of like, is, it, is it the thing to go after? Praveen, or, is it, is it, is, or are they trying to go after Cyril himself, or is it, is it part of broader ANC factional battles? You know, because the ANC still hasn't recovered from the whole undecisive sort of like Nasrak from 2017. So like, it's still far from being a, a, a united party. So there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of politics, but I think, yeah, his position really became unsustainable once like he'd been, he'd comes under such heavy public attack from a deputy president. Warren Thompson, not that any power utility, frankly, anywhere in the world should ever promise not to load shed. And I have to say the president was uh, not wise to repeat that promise. But, but I mean, did you get the feeling that for Jabu Mabuza this was about <coughs> falling on his sword um, because of the promise that had supposedly been broken? Or, or was he kind of looking for a way to exit long before? What's, what was your feeling about that? Yeah, I think he was always installed. Uh, my sense was that he was always installed as an interim. He started off as the chairman, uh, was parachuted in there, and then obviously he had to step into the CEO uh, role for a while. But uh, we know there's a lot of politics going on, <coughs> but there's palpable frustration, I think, from all quarters in South African society about what Eskom has promised us in terms of load shedding and what's actually uh, happened. I mean, we remember that uh, it was late November or early December when the president was on his way to Egypt and we got ratcheted up to stage six load shedding <coughs> in a matter of minutes uh, with no idea why or how. And I think certainly from uh, the big uh, energy users um, the mines and the smelters, like, you just cannot run, we, we cannot tolerate this anymore. I mean, I think there's going to be more job losses. There's certainly <coughs> frustration, I think, all around. Yeah, um, rather just, as we were speaking off air, Hillary, rather tell us the worst case scenario and then perform better than that, th than this chaos, which is almost the hourly change in uh, the kind of status oh, of the grid. Good. Now, now, the new chief executive, Andre Dureta Lucanio, has now begun. Um, are we expecting that somebody might start to get a grip on this thing, mm. even, even if it's going to clearly take a long time to fix? 
<coughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's the actual warning. I mean, we're talking about the load shedding that was unexpected this December. Because if you remember, we had a press conference in December 2018 <laughs> when we all went to Megawatt Park and we were told there isn't going to be any load shedding for a month. At least I think that time there was actually no load shedding for a month. And then, but then January came and then there was havoc. And then I think the economy shrunk by 3.1% 3 or something that quarter, mainly to do to ESCOM. So, like, this has been, as you said, this has been a long-running problem. And, I mean, whether one person is going to come in and fix it in a space of a couple of weeks, a couple of months, it's, I mean, I mean, these, are, these are a bit structural issues, right? These are political issues. But the things with ASCOM, it still feels like to me we, we've always known what needs to be done in a way. Because, like, there's you know, all these proposals. You know, they know that there was that report that, that, that uh, the government president to the commission in 2018, I think, I think from, from the latest. But I suppose, Genevieve, the politics mm. are such that whatever proposals are put in place to fix it um, don't necessarily <laughs> seem to get implemented. Absolutely. And talk about the politics, because we've really had a bit of an eruption of what mm. seems to be an internal ANC battle around Praveen Gordon and the resignation of Jabba yeah. Um, Sipo Pityana yesterday was quite right to say that ESCOM is being used as a political football. Um, and actually, Natasha Marion writes it in her column this week for Financial Mail. Um, the issue, it comes down in, in, in what happened recently and this, this new backlash against Gordon, now from the camp that seemed to be this, the CR camp, is that Didi and PG have had a, a fallout. So apparently... Um, David Mabuza and Mabuza Pravin Gordon sidelined by Pravin Gordon in the ESCOM war room. He was supposed to be uh. the chair of the war room. Yes. Didi Mabuza. And right. so egos have been hurt. Also, Didi Mabuza in all of this, we know there, there's been a big issue with Sura Ramaphosa being a bit fluffy up and down. He doesn't really want to say what's going on, what he believes, is this right, is this wrong. There's always shock, horror, oh no. And then Didi Mabuza steps in and goes, we were misled. That's it, we were misled. He actually shows up Cyril in a way. He's starting to look more like the leader than Cyril Ramaphosa's looking. So is this, then, this is just, is just it's a platform or a proxy mm. for finding a Absolutely. battle within the NCN? Yeah. Is this, this coming out into the open now, Genevieve? Then we have this new call of let's give ESCOM to the energy department. Which is Gwede Mantash. Which is Gwede Mantash, who, let's be quite honest, hasn't done really well in terms of implementation. And, here's the, and this has been the issue. There are all these plans. There's no implementation. And how many times do we have to say, government, get it together, ANC, get it together. Can we implement? Can we implement? The policies are there. Sipo Pityana again said that yesterday. But now you've got Gwede Mantash and Pravin Gordon, two key allies of President Ramaphosa, who are being pitted against each other. And mm. now, and then if we go back to the moving the ESCOM to the energy department. So obviously say that there's a fallout between Didi Mabuza and PG, and he's still on good terms with Gwede. But Gwede's track record, we saw this morning, that the entire NEXA board, which falls under the energy department, resides. What's their which reason? Which is the, the Atomic Energy the Agency. Yes. yes. What's their reason? Political they, interference. They are frustrated by the minister who hasn't signed off on anything, so it hampers them from doing their work. So if you thought Praveen Gordon was interfering in the boards of the enterprises that he controls, but so is Gwede Mantash. But now this is the other touch. The, the other, Gwede is not, he's not doing anything. That's what they're complaining about. We've, the, it's the lack, lack of interference this time. Lack yes. Yes. <laughs> Nexus says, we have sent you detailed reports <laughs> of what we need to do to turn this around. They had liquidation problems. 
think Wede hasn't signed it. And but the same goes, Warren Thompson, for, for, for all the renewable energy um, exemptions and contracts that Gwede hasn't signed either. I mean, so, so in a sense, Praveen Gordon and Gwede Mantash were perhaps, we don't really know, at odds before over electricity. But either way, what does it do to sort of investment in the private sector if this renewable energy thing continues to be held up apparently by a lack of a signature? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think that's really what's so depressing about this is why these little uh, palace intrigue and games are being uh, played. The economy is bleeding jobs. Investor confidence, as you know, is at uh, rock bottom. And uh, it looks like, once again, that the, uh, the intrigue uh, and, the, and the horse trading inside the ANC is taking precedence over the welfare of the nation. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. simply how it's uh, coming across. If you expect investors to look at that and say, well, it's, this is a time. Uh, Neil Froneman was borderline saying that... It's you know, Sibania Stillwater. Yeah, this mining yeah. industry of ours is effectively dead and buried until mm. someone starts making decisions and we can get this Eskom fixed and, and new sources of supply onto the grid, which they have literally queued up. It just requires a, a signature and I think a connection from Eskom and that would be one source. But again, it, uh, it's all sitting uh, below what's taking place inside the ruling party. Look, can your implications for growth, we're looking at a pretty bleak sort of outlook, aren't we? Um, with the Monetary Policy Committee meeting tomorrow, are they going to revise down the 2020 growth forecast again. What what is it? What is the economy looking like for this coming ah, well, year? I mean, we've, we've, we've had a really bit of a dismal start. And if they say economics is a dismal science, we've had a really dismal <laughs> start, start to the year. I must say. I mean, I think the Reserve Bank's forecast in November was for growth of 1.4 percent this year, and we know we're not going to be anywhere near that already. I mean, for example, we know just from this week that Nedbank had come in with their own forecast, just half of that, 0.7. For 2020. For 2020, yeah. So the bank has already come at 0.7%. The World Bank has come at under 1%. And I think Standard Bank also had a, a new forecast. So the, it almost goes without saying the Reserve Bank's 1.4 forecast. We might as well forget about that completely. I mean, obviously, they, they're going to say, I mean, in terms of monetary policy, they, they, don't, they don't necessarily target growth, right? They target, I mean, they, they, I mean it's part of the mandate, broader mandate, but they, they issues inflation. But, but even, I think even the inflation target, or they, so the inflation forecasts are going to be way out of the window already. I think they're, they're looking for an average of 5.1% for the whole of 2020. I mean, last year, I think they were looking for So some inflation mm. forecasts are, too, are lower than expected. Mm. Growth forecasts, likewise, are mm. lower than expected. Yeah, exactly. Are we even going to get a positive number for last year, 2019? <coughs> it's going to be touch and go, isn't it? Because we were looking, obviously, we'd like you know, that to be quite bad headlines for Cyril Ramaphosa because that would mean that like, we've had two recessions. <laughs> if, if there is a negative, because the, num cause the third quarter was, came out as a shocker, minus 0 0.6. So if the fourth quarter does also come negative and then obviously technical re re recession that we have on hand and that means like since Ramaphosa came into office in February 2018 we would have had two recessions. I mean that's not like what the... So Ramaphosa the optics are not good no, no, as they no, say. It's not what the Ramaphosa yes. was about and the new dawn was about. <laughs> it's really got and, a, and, and, a, and a legacy think, which is yeah. proving really impossible to 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 address though even sure. given that business is saying it's not impossible <laughs> just do something i mean how, do you feel genevieve that the dynamics between business and government are almost changing i mean government cyril ramaphosa keeps saying our door is open yes and, keeps and they saying clearly that do talk to each other but the private happens. sector must do more and come on board mm. and and he the but private sector private keeps saying to could do. you do more perhaps and, and and correct me if i'm wrong the private sector so all these business um organizations it can go sit with the president mm. 
every week, every month, whatever, and have a chat about what's happening. But they can't, you as a CEO of a company or the, cannot go and say, di dictate or make policy decision. That still lies with the president and with government. So you can talk, talk, talk to each other. But if the implementation is not happening from government side, what else can private sector do? They, I, I just I understand they can maybe invest more, but... They need a signature. They need yes. a signature, yeah. More often yeah. than not. Yes. Lots of news in retail. Uh, this week, MassMart uh, stepping up to close stores, DNY stores, and potentially re retrench up to 1,500 workers. Edcon closing more stores, which is Edcon, which is already in voluntary business rescue. And at Woolworths, a new chief executive stepping in to replace the old chief executive, Ian Moyer, who presided over quite a difficult time at the retailer. Look, Kanyo, what does, certainly the store closing, what does all this shifting in retail actually tell us about the sector and about the economy? I suppose if you can look at this sector as some kind of bellwether for how the person at home is feeling about the economy and it's not a good sign, right? <laughs> I mean, we've had, I mean, unemployment at record levels. I mean, obviously, in the last couple of years, we've had like, I, mean, I think we had, we know we, we know we had like tax increases, no jobs, and I don't think had anybody's getting any pay increases. So obviously, that, that, that's, that's filtering through in, 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 into the retail stores. And, and what's scary about it, you know, it, it doesn't, it filters across. It doesn't really go. It's not, it doesn't matter whether you're Woolworths at the high end or shop right at the bottom end. Everybody seems to be feeling the same kind of pain. It's not even, it's not even a case of saying, you know, at least if you're like at this part of, this, of, 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 the, of the market, you should be okay. Like, there isn't that kind of sense. So, it's, so it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite gloom all around. But I think, I mean, we just need to get this economy going. Right? Because, I mean, this, this people need to spend and people need to be, have confidence. And I mean, I think we had the last numbers, consumer confidence, last, the last number was, was quite flat, but, but still near, near, near two-year lows. And I know business confidence is running at lows since like the days of PW Bottom. So, <laughs> so it's not really a kind of environment where you'd expect like, retail sales companies to be, to be booming. You know? Warren, if you were MassMart, if you were Walmart, which bought into MassMart several, Mass several years ago, what, what would you be saying to your shareholders? Well, fortunately, it's, it's a fairly inconsequential slice of the Walmart pie. I mean, that is a, an enormous beast. And even as big as MassMart is in South Africa, uh, it's, it's tiny in the scope of just the profits it, uh, it generates in the United States. So uh, it makes it a little bit uncomfortable and you wonder why, you wonder when they're going to revisit the thesis. I mean, the idea when they bought uh, MassMart was that they were going to use it uh, to understand the market and then use it as a platform to expand into Africa. That clearly hasn't happened. The investment has performed very poorly. So it's almost getting to the brink where if you're sitting in a, a boardroom, uh, I think they're based in, in Nebraska or somewhere in the Midwest, uh, and you look at this uh, tiny little business that you've got at the southern tip of Africa, it almost looks like it's inconsequential. You've taken the hit on your investments already because it's a listed price that feeds into your, uh, your value of the business. You might say, well, let's just sell it. Uh, it's... But more broadly, I mean, what, what do you see? Because in fact, MassMart is looking at closing the sort of upper end of its, 
upper-end stores, which you would have thought DNY, which have, one would have thought might have survived a little bit better. Well, yes, but uh, as, as Lukanya pointed out, you're seeing the pain across the board. At the same time as you've seen this slowdown in salary, real salary increases, including now that's starting to feed into the government uh, as it tries to curtail its, uh, its public sector wage bill, You've also seen the increase in administered prices, but also the banks have been extremely prudent in lending. And that's often been a, f a source of uh, money that finds its way into the retail sector, is uh, credit card lending, personal loan lending, that, uh, that, that, and they've been exceptionally conservative over the last few years, which has seen uh, these credit loss ratios reaching like uh, almost decade lows. Uh, so that's another factor, and that's unlikely to change. Some of them are turning on the taps, but that's unlikely to change in this uh, economy. So all around, we had a great run, I think, from about 2004 until uh, 2016. The consumer, you saw disposable incomes rising, generally uh, more people being employed every year, but that's all reversed now. And effectively, you've got a bit of a legacy effect. You've got too much retail uh, competition and footprint. And that has to and too too little now. disposable yeah. income. While we're on the subject of banking, Lucanio, a person who, who you and I know well from the Reserve Bank, Daniel Manelli, is ABSA's new chief executive. Started today, today I think. Yes. Mm. Um, how do you think he'll do as a commercial banker? And what is his challenge at ABSA? It's an interesting one. I mean, I think Warren has written quite a bit about this as well. As you said, like in you know, a even though his initial background was in commercial banking, like in Germany and the UK and here, but then, it's, then he had 20 years in the Reserve Bank, and 20 years in which the sector has transformed massively. You know, all these new entrants and these new digital banks, and apps are still very much an old legacy sort of business. And I mean, there are some people who say, who argue that these legacy big banks won't exist in 10, 20 years' time. <laughs> Warren, is that, is that the case? Are we not going to have ABSA or Standard or not in their present form no, no, in 20 I, years' I, time? 20 years' time, I might have been a bit too like, drastic okay. in my... It wouldn't be the first time the end of certainly branch banking had yeah. been predicted. But Warren, I mean, what are his challenges at ABSA? He's got quite a few. I think, I think it's in a better position uh, having come out of Barclays now. It's, it's kind of settled down. They've set a strategy. He's going to come in and, and appraise that strategy. Uh, Lukanya and I also noted that that six-month cooling-off period, uh, Daniel would have spent uh, studying APSA and studying his market. So while he is coming from the central bank into the, one of the commercial operators, I think he will be very well-read and very well-informed with the, the publicly available information around the market, et cetera, et cetera. But he's essentially coming into a uh, retail bank that's on the back foot. It's behind the curve uh, technology-wise, and uh, it's begun to reassert itself, but uh, it's still very much kind of the, the competitor that's been losing market share as opposed to gaining market share over the last few years. So we suspect uh, that his time is really going to be spent uh, making sure that that retail, uh, that big retail business banking uh, unit, which generates about 50 to 60 percent of the profits, uh, starts winning back uh, its market <coughs> share in some of the key markets where it was a, a leader, like in uh, home loans. Genevieve, I'm going to ask you a question, uh, sort of about the politics of banking, because 
thinking about it, Daniel Manelli has gone from the Reserve Bank to EBSA. Well, went from commercial to central back to commercial banking. But we've also had quite a lot of a revolving door, in fact, lately. We've had Lungisa Fuzile go from the Treasury to Standard Bank. Um, we've had um, Francois Krupa also go from the Reserve Bank to, to Discovery Bank. Um, there may be, and we sadly don't have people going in the other direction from private to public. Uh, well, we wish there were more of yes, them. But, yeah. but is it a good thing that there is this kind of crossover from public sector to private sector? Yes, and, and it, I do think it is because it gives more of an understanding. Maybe that's where partnership between governments and the private sector may become a bit better or easier because someone now who says has gone from the public sector into the private sector can say, well, I know how it works on the other side. If I we want to, how government works. How government yeah. works. If we want to engage with someone with this is our idea, this is the way we should actually go about getting our submission to the president, the minister, or whoever. It would be nice if it happened more the other way around as well, because I think and the president well, I suppose has spoken we've got about Andre it. Andre haven't gone at least from True. the private sector yes. to ESCOM. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, not enough in that direction. No, because right. that lack of skill that we have in government, because so many people got so disenchanted with what was happening within the state, mm. the state, the corruption that have now, or they were persecuted because they weren't part of the the group who were willing to loot have all moved out now and taken all that skill with them so who wants to come back and when with maybe two years ago everyone was like oh maybe we want to go to Mamina and work with President Sora Pause but if someone had to ask now and didn't we see it with the ESCOM CEO issue yeah. well, how we'll difficult was it to find we'll know President Ramaphosa in succeeding in building a capable state when people start lining up to take those no. jobs because at the moment you have to kind of drag them into uh, uh, no, no, the no, public no, no, sector no, no, jobs. Not you mentioned it, Hillary. I was actually reading in the Bloomberg today. They were speculating about is it Gary Kennedy, the NetBank CIB, like uh, who's like yes. finally retiring. Yes. They were alluding to him possibly going into the public sector. So, oh, so, okay. So, well, so yeah. maybe you might see a bit of as that. As long as the door revolves yeah. both ways. And, um, in the meantime, we have had the long-awaited. Peter Moyer, Old Mitchell judgment, or at least one of them. Mm. Um, Old Mitchell winning in, in court, um, getting the appeal against, uh, uh, so enabling it to go ahead and appoint a new CEO. Mm. Look, Kanye, were you surprised that Old Mitchell actually won this time around? I mean, a, a little bit. I must say, when the headlines came, I mean, you can see the reaction from the markets. I mean, they, they, so obviously, like, it was not something that, I, mean, I suppose, maybe the, if they were expecting it, they might have traded it on it before. So maybe, maybe the markets were not expecting it either. I mean, I mean, having lost the previous case, I mean, it, like, it, it hasn't really been a good six, seven months for Old Mitchell. So the previous case, the, the, the High Court judge said he could be reinstated. Could, could, could be reinstated. And the, oh. the appeal court has now said, no, he no, can't be reinstated. I, mean, I think, like, they seem, no argue, they, they, they seem no. to argue also like it's impractical like once like you've lost each other's faith, faith in each other and trust in each other how can you then go and work together that seems to be the crust of the argument and i suppose like uh, like um, i mean it's a bit dis it's disappointing for moyo obviously and i'm sure like trevor manuel will see this as a big vindication because because he's somebody who came under quite a lot of attack to us late, late of last year you know with his unguarded statements about the judge and all those things so, so yeah, Warren, is this good? I mean, will this will this be good for? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this has Old Mitchell taken taken a lot of strain, and does this help? Absolutely, I think it's given clarity now. They can they can now appoint a permanent uh, successor to Peter. But I think the the issue around the reinstatement was like a technical issue. That the real meat is still to come around the substance of why what actually happened with this. Uh, this private investment vehicle that Peter Moyer was a shareholder of and its relationship with Old Mutual. So 
I think the feeling was that the, uh, I think a very decisive win for Old Mutual here, but uh, I think the news could get worse for Mr. Moyo as it goes along. It's not going to leave it here. But lastly, I have to get to the news that's been on absolutely everybody's um, lips and thoughts. Uh, not a South African story, though a story which does touch on South Africa, which is Mexit. Genevieve, uh, Harry and Meghan uh, retiring from full-time working life. You've just been in the UK yes. the day. Uh, what do you make of this? Such a... People are so upset in the UK. I, I mean, just heard everyone talking about it. On upset the because they're leaving or upset because... Ups yes, upset and, and all the blame is going to Meghan Markle. It's her fault. There seems to be quite a bit of hate for her in the UK. And I say hate is a strong word, but wow. Even the analysis on the situation. And how much of it is racial? Mm. I mean, so it coming with the South African lens, mm. it's hard not to see that there's a strong race. I, I think even with the UK it. lens, it depends what you read. No? If you read The Guardian, obviously that, 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 that's, that, that's what the actually I was reading. Even I'm reading about it. That's how exciting it is. So there you go. I was reading Susan Moore's column yesterday in The Guardian about it, where she alluded to these issues of bigotry and, 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 and how it's actually it's a blow for the UK in a sense, like in the same way, like you know, if you go back to the, U to the US when they had Barack Obama, first black president, sort of post-racial society, and I think this, this, this marriage you know, with Meghan's like, a mixed background was this idea that you know, there's a modernization of the royal family mm. and, a, and a new type so of religion that's, so more, that's, more, that's more in tune with, with, with how it's changed and, and how it's much more multicultural. So like, if like, then this person who's quite privileged in a position feels like you know, this country is too an accepting effort because of her background that she has to run away. It sort of, it sort of does put a bit of a <laughs> dampener on that thought, on that idea. <laughs> Leaving only one question, Warren, um, very quickly, what chance that they can be financially self-sufficient as they I'm amazed they actually plan. aren't already, Hillary. I mean, uh, Megan has had a very accomplished career in acting. I can only imagine that her uh, ticket, her salary per movie per series is, is going up in multiples now that she is still or now that she's a, 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 a princess so I think there will be no shortage of work for her and uh, I understand that parts of the royal family already are ambassadors for Land Rover etc etc so if uh, if Harry wants to attach his name to that uh, that type of thing uh, become an ambassador uh, for, for various brands, including his own foundation, which he really wants to spend most of his time at. Uh, there will literally be no shortage of opportunities. It all feels a little uncomfortable and awkward, but it has been suggested, for example, that Megan could play Megan in the next series of The Crown. The Crown. So we're going to leave it there. <laughs> That's all we have time for now, but please do join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.